Lorena here from Everything's Canceled podcast. Herman and I hope you've been enjoying our show. The best way to support us right now is to subscribe to our Patreon for some exclusive episodes and more at patreon.com slash everything's canceled. And don't forget there's only one L in canceled. And shop our new merch on our Shopify. The Shopify is everythingscanceled.myshopify.com. Now let's get to today's show. You're listening to Everything's Cancelled podcast with your hosts, Herman and Lorena. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to right now and follow us on Instagram at Everything's Cancelled podcast. In each episode, we discuss topics in detail that could be triggering for some listeners. So please listen with care. All content provided in this podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only. This podcast may contain views and opinions which are those of the authors or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other author, agency, organization, or company. Any copyrighted content reproduced in this podcast is done so in accordance with Section 107 of the Copyright Act, allowing fair use and is not an infringement of copyright. Information discussed is true and complete to the best of our knowledge. Any information discussed referring to specific incidents are allegations only, unless proven otherwise in a court of law. Due to the changing nature of laws, rules, and regulations, the hosts will make no representations to the accuracy or completeness of any information in this podcast and will not be liable for any errors, omissions, nor the availability of this information. The hosts will not be held liable for any losses, injuries, or damage from the display or use of this information. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed our Danny Masterson episode. And if you haven't, maybe you should go back and download it and listen to it. (laughs) Uh, in the Danny episode, Herman here had kind of uh, driven the car on that episode and kind of schooled me on the Danny Masterson, and I was able to kind of kick back and just give my opinion. And we're switching roles this time uh, mm. with a less clear cancellation this time, whereas Danny Masterson was a pretty clear cancellation. This time we're going to get into a little mm-hmm. bit more of a lighthearted one here. So yeah, well, who's canceled this week, Herman? Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith. I was gonna, I was like, why did you name her first? Will Smith, for sure. Will Smith first. Everyone hates Jada right now. Though. Yeah, that's it the, seems like she... That's the general yeah. case. But we're actually going to cover the whole Smith family, so I'm pretty stoked on that. Yeah, it's a lot to talk about here. They're, I didn't know I was going to write 15 pages, so... <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's nice that we're covering a little bit more lighthearted territory in one way or another in the sense that nobody was raped or murdered here or any horrible things, although there's... I don't know. Where do we go? Where right. do we go from here? Well, Jada and Will have been canceled for two main separate things that may or may not relate, which we'll get into, which is their marriage and the slap, right? So we're going to run through a timeline of the entire Smith's relationship and the sagas that have ensued all the way to the infamous Chris Rock slap. <laughs> and then if we have time, or we might even have to put it in a separate episode, we're going to cover some of the other rumors that have come forward since the slap in their new books and all of that. There's so. a lot. Again, this is another situation where, I mean... I guess Will Smith is pretty famous, so there's a lot that he's famous he's for. He's the most famous, right? That's yeah. that's what he wants. He wants to be the most famous, the most successful, the biggest movie star and of all time. There's books. There's you know. There's books. There's movies. There's podcasts. I, there, these people are in the media all the time. There's a lot to cover here. To prepare for this podcast, not only did I basically read both of their memoirs and then watch hours of. I mean, literally hours of interviews, read articles, (laughs) watched their kids' social medias, 
there's so much. Yeah, but let's, there's a lot to cover. Let's reel sure. it back. I want you to tell mm -hmm. me what your relationship to the Smiths is. Do you love them? Do you hate them? How do you know them? Where are they on your radar? I wonder when was the first time I ever heard of Will Smith. I mean, the Fresh Prince, probably, for me. I remember very clearly going to see Independence Day, too, and what a big deal the movie Independence Day was, too. And then uh, after that, then the album. Then Big Willie Style comes out, and this album and his music from that album is absolutely inescapable. I am in high school at this time. I think, okay. I think that Big Willie Style came out either between like when I was in junior high and high school or like when I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school. So it was everywhere. Well, Will Smith started out really young and he's only about 15 years older than you. So his music would have been made for your age mm -hmm. group for sure. He certainly was absolutely huge at a time when I was at an age where like popular culture and popular music was like inescapable. Like I said, it seemed like it was everywhere. I have a very clear memory of being on the bus as a sophomore in high school, going to like a sporting event and getting jiggy with it is playing. And like, you know, like some of the girls are dancing and I will, I will never forget <laughs> this moment with this song. And I mean, and then revisiting some of this stuff too, it was like, you know, I remembered seeing things, music videos that I saw so many times, like in that time period, you know, that 2000s era, late 90s. It was just, he was huge. And I mean, I guess he still is in some way, but I guess yes. we, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you a little bit about my relationship to the Smiths. Will Smith was absolutely the first love of mine. My obsession... <laughs> with the Smith family has be been every, every character like Danny Masterson. <laughs> Will. I know, but I can't even describe <laughs> to you. Listen, Will Smith takes them all. I was so in love with him. My dad was obsessed with him. So I grew up listening to his old music, um, mm. you know, before getting jiggy with it days. Yeah. Um, his kids are, you know, about my age. So I was so obsessed with Fresh Prince. I've seen every episode of Fresh Prince. I've seen a huge majority of his movies. And then I went on to follow the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. I definitely, like one of my strongest memories was having my first portable CD player. And I had the Will Smith Greatest, uh, greatest Hits CD in it. When I became a, a parent, I looked yeah. up to a lot of their ideas of parenting because they were pretty open about like their alternative ideas of parenting. And that really appealed to me. Mm -hmm. So when the Red Table Talk came out, I started listening to that on Spotify at work. And in the height of that obsession of binging all the Red Table Talks was when the August Alcina scandal happened. So I was deep into all of that drama all the way up to the slap. I'm a, you know, was a big fan of Willow and her music. I'm a big Smith fan. I was very excited to do this episode. So that that is my relationship. I came in as a fan thinking that they were perfect. Let me ask you <laughs> they another, were my perfect celebrities. Let me ask you another question too. When was the first time you ever heard of Jada Pinkett? My whole or life. Or Jada Pinkett Smith. For me, Will and Jada have always been together. They got together when I was a baby. Okay. Um, yeah. So when did they get married? Remind me. Uh, oh, now you're quizzing me. Okay, 94, well, we'll there, 95. Okay, I was literally a baby. Yeah. I was born in 92. So as long as there's been Will, there's been Jada. I've okay, always seen them okay. as like a power couple. All right. So <laughs> let's start from the beginning. 
I'm actually going to get deep into their separate Jada well, and Wills. I guess that makes me wonder. I'm not sure when was the first time I ever heard of her then. Where I very clearly rem no, remember the first time I heard of Will Smith, but I'm not so sure. I mean, they Jada. started dating very early on the set of Fresh Prince. Yeah. So okay. if your introduction to him, I mean, they got married while he was in Fresh Prince. Yeah. So you would have seen them together, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And nobody says Jada Pinkett, right? It's Jada Pinkett Smith. You see them together. Mm -hmm. Like as much as she does have her own thing she is known to be Will Smith's wife, which we're, which we're going to get into. Yeah, okay. All right, so I am actually going way back. I am going to cover a lot of their childhood and a lot of their relationship in the early years on because I think it's relevant to how we see them as, quote, canceled celebrities now, which whether they're canceled or not, we're also going to get into. That's the whole point of the podcast. So when Will and Jada met... They, when they started dating, is actually loosely recounted differently between their two memoirs. So I'm actually, I think, you know, it's just been so long. They tell the story so many times. So there's a little difference. So I'm actually, mm -hmm. I'm going to touch on both um, perspectives of how they met. So Jada says that her and Will met on the set of Fresh Prince in 1994. She did not get the part on the show as Will's girlfriend because she was too short, but he was instantly attracted to her. He already had a son named Trey, the lost child that no one knows. <laughs> um, Trey with his wife at the time, Cherie. And his marriage was already falling apart, but they did not get together until the divorce was final. And as soon as they were divorced, he called up Jada and notoriously said, are you seeing anyone? No, good, because you're seeing me. In Will's memoir, he said that he saw her try out for the Fresh Prince. She didn't really give him the time of day. So, and actually he had heard of her already and he had actually had someone from the show call her up in Baltimore, say, I want you to fly out and try out for Fresh Prince. He was trying to get her to try out because he wanted to meet her. So the fact that she didn't get the part had nothing to do with Will Smith because Will Smith wanted her to have that part. What was she doing at the time? She was on another television she show. She was on right? another show. I'll get into that in just a second. Okay. So... She came and tried out for the Fresh Prince. He met her at like the dressing room area or like backstage or whatever. And he was just trying to hit on her and she didn't really give him the time of day. So he thinks of this grand gesture that he's going to do, which is to go on her show set because she was at the time working on the show, A Different World from 91 to 93. Okay. And these years, like try to pay attention to him because I need you to understand how much happens in these people's lives in such a short amount of time. Yeah, they both become, and particularly would become very famous very fast. Yes, right? which affects them, their families. It's, an, it's very intense. I just want you to like put yourself in the shoes of where they came from and what they got to in how fast. So she's working on the show, A Different World, from 91 to 93. And he comes up with the idea that he's going to go sit in the audience of the show. And everyone's going to be so amazed that the big worldly love Will Smith is sitting in the audience. She would have to notice him. And she does not. She ends up kind of rejecting him or blowing him off, not noticing him. Uh, but who did he notice? Cherie, his now ex-wife, who was in the audience that day. And he took her home married her and impregnated her within three months of meeting her so that's fucking weird <laughs> took her home and married her they were basically ready to divorce before the baby was one and some time goes on and when his divorce is almost final he finally did spend some time with jada he ran into her at a bar they start talking and they instantly connect over talking about political issues 
spiritual awakenings. No, yeah, no, isn't this, they describe it as this, the deepest conversation that anybody it, has yes. ever had, yeah. right? And he was really drawn to her. And then his ex-wife, Cherie, called him up and says, can we give this one more try for their son, right? So he calls up Jada and he's like, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to go back to my ex-wife. And she was just like, okay, yeah, that's the right thing to do. You have a baby with her. And apparently her reaction to that amazed him so much that she would be so selfless that he basically says, never mind, it's you that I want. I am going to get a divorce. So he calls her up again and he's like, are you seeing anyone? And she said, no. And he said, good, because you're seeing me. So that is what happens with them. And he gets Jada pregnant right away, which seems to be his pattern. Okay. Yeah, this is like in the fall and he gets her pregnant. And when she's like three months pregnant, he marries her on New Year's Eve of 1997. And this is when she's pregnant with Jaden. And Jada was 25 and Will was 28 when they got married. They both acknowledge that she was pressured by him and her mom to kind of have this shotgun wedding. And she was pretty adamant that she was still too young for marriage, unsure about everything. But once they were committed, they were both all in. The ceremony was basically a commitment to never getting divorced, which I get that all marriages are a commitment to not get divorced, but this was just very much like divorce is not an option. We are going to build an empire together. So and he's kind of like really, re they've both really kind of reaffirmed that sentiment in things that they've said since then, right? Like in interviews and in their books, right? Where they talk about how their partnership doesn't end basically you know it's a it, it's very much a partnership spoiler alert they do not end their relationship so part of the recent will and jada saga is that jada wrote a new memoir book that recounts her marriage with will and a lot of my information from here is going to come directly from that along with like i said interviews and podcasts from both of them the red table talk and his memoir that was written shortly before hers or a little bit, a couple years before hers. Yeah, and I think so. It came out just before hers, I think. Yeah. But controversially, her new book actually talks about her relationship with Tupac more than her relationship with Will. But what should be noted here is that Tupac died in 1996, literally in the height of her relationship with Will, and right about 12 to 13 months before she had unexpectedly got pregnant and had a shotgun wedding. So when we weigh in what grief really looks like, I think we can kind of place ourselves in where Jada is at in the beginning of her marriage. Because if you don't know, Tupac and Jada have an entanglement, to use Jada's favorite word. <laughs> um, she met Tupac when they went to Baltimore School of Arts High School, where they were doing acting together. They were instant best friends. Um, she was like 15 at the time, and she'd just come out of the harder streets where she had been selling heroin, which she claimed she was never using herself, but her mom was addicted. She had been selling heroin starting at 14, but since her mom was addicted and really absent, she was sort of like raised in this environment. She knew how to sell well. She gets really deep into her, um, the way that she navigated the, she was queen of the streets of heroin, okay? She was mostly raised by her grandma, and her grandma was in a little bit of a better place than her mom. And the art school was her break from that life and essentially the path that changed everything for her. And Tupac was there for all of it from the beginning and was her best friend. Of all the things Jada is accused of being, it's never mentioned in her 
complete disconnection from her values when she is looking at Tupac with complete love-struck eyes. She never calls it love, but it was 100% love. They were in love. They claim to have never had sex. I, I doubt that. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe they didn't have sex. I can't, I cannot say, but they both said they never had sex. My hot take here is that I do think that she told Will in the very beginning of their relationship. She had this friendship with Tupac. She's seeing him in jail. He gets shot the second time and dies literally while she, you know, right before she gets pregnant and married to Will. I think that she told Will right away, I never slept with him. You don't have anything to worry about. He's the guy you don't have anything to worry about. And I think that she's had yeah. to maintain while talking about all the wonderful things about Tupac and how close she is with him. I think that she's had to maintain, oh, I never had sex with him because she told her new partner, I never had sex with him. That is my gut feeling well, about the Tupac. And everything they do seem, has to do with protecting their image. And maybe that's something that she does to protect his image, potentially. Yeah. And because Jada loves to tell everyone everything about her life, truth or not, we will never really know. But she never stops talking about herself or Tupac or Will. Those are her three favorite topics. And, and she talks a lot. She talks so goddamn much. It is mind-numbing. I didn't know how much I hated her until I had to indulge in all of her. Uh, I looked up their books, too. Will came out in 2021, and Jada's book, Worthy, came out this year in 2023 all right so yeah they're two years apart on the books a little bit more about her relationship with tupac they were best friends and her relationship with him actually reminds me a lot of one that i had at the same age and it always sticks with you because when you have a man that is sort of placing himself above you in intelligence or experience or philosophies, you'll sort of just gobble up every word and you'll never really go much deeper into questioning it or examining it beyond just trying to understand. So Tupac is to thank for teaching Jada the ins and outs of black politics. She had sort of been sheltered from it because even though she was working the streets and selling drugs, she did have a privileged experience with her grandparents raising her who were working professionals. I believe her grandma was a doctor or a nurse or something. I don't remember. Tupac teaches her about the Black Panthers and Black liberation of Black men. And the only time she ever disagrees with Tupac's philosophies is on women's rights. She describes in her book that he still saw black women as bitches and hoes who had no place in trying to seek equality. So when Tupac is arrested in 1995, he served eight months in prison on sexual abuse charges. She visited him while locked up, and he even proposed to her while in jail, and she rejected the offer. There's hints that he was only proposing so he could um, marry her and be able to have, what do you call it, Con conjugal visits yeah he wanted to get conjugal laid. visit yeah. yeah he wanted to get laid she says no and it was because he was looking for support um and confirmation that she'd still be there but she assures that he would have married her then dumped her as soon as they he was out of prison because they were not in love as obsessed as she is with him she claims she was never in love with him hmm. anyways tupac was then murdered in a drive-by shooting after he was released out of jail so there was no exploring that anyways. But I think that this is just a half-truth, half-lie that she's always spinning around because, like I said, at the end of the day, he was in prison in 1995, 
Will and Jada's relationship went public in 1995. She's dating Will right before, during, and right after. She is visiting, calling, and writing Tupac in prison where he proposes to her. There is 100% an overlap there. It's a lot of unfinished yeah. business, and I think that's why she remains a little obsessed and why these timelines remain so fuzzy and unclear because she obviously tokenizes her friendship with Tupac, but I also think there's more to it than we will ever know. And also... Yeah. Hmm we'll probably end up doing an entire episode on Tupac. Yeah, the Tupac and, rape charges. Yeah, because I will say, like, I, I haven't done the research yet, but I think that there are some suspicions that it was a setup. I touch on this here in a minute a little bit more. I just, the controversy of her recognizing that he doesn't support women's rights, but then she automatically support his defense in sexual abuse charges against, I think, multiple women. Yeah, it's just she, like a contradiction for me. Yeah, and isn't her defense of him is pretty much just an outright defense. Like, it's the type of defense where it's like, I know this person, they would never do that, yeah. right? Yeah, he never raped me. We never even had sex. Why would yeah. he? And then also these ideas that he had taught her about. So her claiming that she never had sex with Tupac might also potentially, like, lend, uh, be in support of her her supporting him and claiming that, you know, that his rape uh, conviction, right? Yeah, but when you also, like, read... a setup. When you read what she says that he tells her about, I almost wonder if he did never sleep with her because he saw women, once you slept with them, as, like, used mm -hmm. up. And I think he actually loved Jada. And in his mind, to keep her the woman that he desires yeah, was he to, like, not use her yeah, up. Yeah, he couldn't treat her, like... Yeah, yeah he couldn't okay. just fuck her like a hoe, to be honest. I guess that would be consistent with that mindset, if that's true. Yeah, and that maybe in his mind he was going to marry Jada eventually and settle down with her, so mm -hmm. he's going to keep her off on the side and give her breadcrumbs to keep her there and in love with her, but he knew the moment he got into that relationship it was going to be an all-or-nothing thing. That's the vibe that I get. I guess that's certainly a possibility. And instead... You know, he goes to jail. She gets entangled with Will and his <laughs> divorce. So it just, it didn't happen. And then, you know, as we know, Tupac died. But yeah. that is a real friendship for her. She grieved that deeply. And that is a theme in the problems with her and Will all the way through. Will still will say to this day that he is very jealous of the relationship that she had with Tupac. We saw the letter that Willow wrote. Years after he's dead, she wrote a letter to Tupac, please come back to my mommy, whatever. So Will and Jada are starting a relationship. A lot's going on from the Tupac situation. A lot's going on with Will's recent divorce and a very young son. There's grief. There's Will's career booming and him having to be gone all the time with all of these circumstances that I know we aren't supposed to give celebrities passes on things, but I'm, I'm trying to humanize the situation here a little bit. So in Jada's book, she talks a lot about specific instances of her relationship with Will. And what's really sad is that we see a lot of her recounting times when he was really dismissive and kind of a shitty partner. But she's still operating from the standpoint that because she's healed, she doesn't see it that way and essentially everything that he did was her fault or things that she could have done better. So as much as it takes two to tango, I really think that this is a case where instead of addressing real issues, she turns it around and does like some special lesson to learn about herself while not having to change or leave the relationship that they're both so committed to, even if they're both a little unhappy, right? When I was able to sort of formulate my thoughts on that perspective where maybe Will's issues in their marriage comes from his need to be the best movie star of all time or whatever, 
and how that overshadows his family, his memoir confirms my thoughts because it's an entire memoir about how the way he loves his family is by forcing the successful family empire image on them. We touched a little bit on Jada's childhood, and before I move on to Will's, I found one part of her really fascinating, speaking on generational traumas and how they impact how we create our families. So we talked about Jada living with her grandma. Jada's mom became pregnant with her when she was in high school. So she had to get married really young, which I'm sure has to do with Jada not wanting to get married young. But she got married while she was still in school and she had, you know, obviously had substance uh, abuse issues. And so did her father, who did eventually die of an overdose just 15 years ago. Her parents were only married for about a year, and it was extremely violent. So she had been living with her grandma. Her grandma is the daughter of two Jamaican immigrants. She got pregnant at 13. When her grandma got pregnant at 13, she was forced to birth alone and then was adopted through the foster care system by a white family that she worked for as a maid. What's so strange to me is how Jada reflects on this in such a disconnected way by saying that to this day, they do not know how it happened that her grandma got pregnant at 13 and that she thinks it was basically a mistake that came from a lack of knowledge of sexual education, but that it seems like her grandmother didn't ever claim that it was rape, so they don't call it rape. But as a woman who considers herself progressive and is a mother of a daughter herself and has the red table talk where she tries to educate people on all of these topics, it's very bizarre to me that she cannot look at her grandmother pregnant at 13 and call it rape or devastating at the bare minimum. And she proceeds to talk positively about being adopted by a white family working as a maid and not calling it slavery. And we see this theme with her happen again in the way that she talks about Tupac and how brilliant he is, and then disconnect herself from how his views on women are a direct reflection of who he is as a person. And I don't want to assume that Tupac is guilty of sexual assault, because there are parts of that case that are suspicious on the legal side. But it seems like in no way would Jada ever consider that possibility that he was dangerous to women, despite her many recounts of his blatant misogyny. That's weird to me. If like my hot take here is that if Jada was going to be canceled for anything, it's some of these views of hers that mm. really get me. This is where this is what changed my opinion on Jada, to be perfectly honest. It's just sort of her disconnection on serious issues. Yeah. And also when just a side note, when you read her writing or you listen to her, she takes everything in her life and creates this story and lesson for you to learn from. It's a very mm -hmm. bizarre mental gymnastics, beating around the bush all over the place and never having to change her relationship with anyone or her stance on anything. She dances around it so that she can stay in the same place that she is with it without having to like actually grow. Yeah, well, you're talking about the way that her book is structured specifically, right? And the way that she interviews. Mm -hmm. She's very deflective and artfully spoken which maybe this is the scientology coming out in her but it's mm -hmm. um <laughs> it dances around yeah like well, she comes across very healed but it's just like dude what like, yeah well she uses a lot of jargon right yes, she uses yeah. a lot of kind of like new psycho, age yeah, spirituality new age kind of psycho babble type jargon that sometimes is a little bit obscure 
and then kind of at the end of everything where she is, you know, telling you whatever lessons she has learned from her life, which is always, you know, very um, enlightening, right? right? She's always, at, at the end of every lesson, she is very enlightened. And then she then seems to always give you, the listener, an opportunity to be as enlightened as Jada is, right? right. She, it's always this thing where you can learn from me to feel better about these issues if they're in your life. But like I said, instead of addressing a way that she's been wronged, whether it be by Tupac or Will or whatever, she sort of softens the blow of the situation so that she can swallow the pill of what happened to her a little better She'll loop it around to how it was a lesson for her to learn so that she doesn't have to leave a relationship that's just easier to stay in. So instead, she's just like, well, instead, like, I healed from this, right? And anyways, I'm sure Jada is no angel. She holds accountability to things that have happened in her marriage with Will. But when you read both of their memoirs, he really does sound extremely problematic to be married with. And I think they have morphed into a little bit of the same person, too. It seems like maybe for both of them, maybe especially for Jada, but for both of them, everything's everything's a lesson. Right. right? Well, so right here, we're going to get into Will's memoir on his childhood where he does the exact same fucking thing. And like I said, Mm. I don't know if they just happen to both be people who do this and they met and got married or if they got married and met and then learned these coping mechanisms together. And I I am very suspicious of Scientology is sprinkled into teaching them how to ignore this bullshit and call it something that it's not. Well, and it certainly has to do with how they portray themselves, which is really important too. And it's, you know, it's pretty difficult to separate who the real people are and what their real lives have been from the way that they portray themselves and tell the story of their lives. And I think that like those things are very important to them, both of them, you know, and like they're everything that they do. Like I think I've already said everything that they do revolves around the way that they're portrayed and how that reflects on them and how that ultimately reflects on their fame and their ability to like stay famous. Right. So Will Smith, his background If you grew up watching Fresh Prince, you probably did what I did, and you probably felt like you knew a lot about him because they imply that that show is based on him as a person quite a bit. They they make you feel that way. If you've seen the episode that's very famous where Will Smith is crying over his father because he lives with Uncle Phil and his dad is not part of his life and there is an episode where his dad comes in and then his dad bails and there is a scene with him and Uncle Phil where he just starts breaking down. It's one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen on sitcom TV where he really expresses like being an older teenager who had been abandoned by his dad his whole life and just expressing that father pain. And I do think that in that moment, he was channeling his own pain with his father. We do get pieces of who Will Smith is in that show, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, it's based on Benny Medina, which comes into play at the very end of this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, if you're like me, you probably thought that you knew a lot about Will Smith. When I got into his memoir, this is what I learned about Will Smith. He actually grew up in a pretty financially stable home, born in 68 in West Philly, grew up in West Philly in the 80s. And very similarly to Jada, he kind of gives too much credit to really horrible people. Uh, and not to compare trauma, but I, I really do think he 
had a worse childhood than Jada. They both have some traumas. I won't even, I won't trauma compare. But he turns their horrendous actions into lessons for himself to be grateful for. His book is titled Will, not because of his name, but because he believes that the traumas that his father ensued on him gave him will to succeed in life. Mm -hmm. um, so just the title alone is pretty clear. But like I said, I don't know if they morphed into people with similar coping mechanisms, but they dig so deep for some answers that are easier to swallow. They don't call it what it is. But anyways, he grew up with an extremely abusive father. To this day, he carries this deep guilt that he never protected his mother from his abusive father. He is the oldest child and the younger children had attempted to step in to some degree, but Will never did. And that guilt has defined who he is through and through. This is the one thing that is consistent with Will and what he says about himself, his childhood. This is his trauma, not standing up to his father. His father punched his mother in the head until she was spitting blood. And then after recounting that horrible image, he literally on the next page calls his dad his hero. The lines are very blurred there for him. And I can't police how someone deals with their parents and upbringing, but it just seems like he could not wholesale throw this man away for his abuse and latched onto every positive thing he could try to find in his relationship with him, from giving him good work ethic when he was actually just labor trafficked as a kid to causing a huge insecurity that drove his success in life. His father taught him relentlessness, but doesn't acknowledge his relentlessness in abusing his mother. He claims to have gotten strength from his mother because he watched her endure abuse and she made it through. The whole thing is really twisted and fucked up. His memoir is not one to read to learn how to deal with your trauma. You read it to get insight on where Will is in his head with it. Will didn't need to watch his mother be beaten to become the best movie star, right? And if I could tell Will anything, that's what I would tell him. His other coping mechanism to this horrendous childhood was to bring humor into the home. Will Smith had an imaginary friend until he was 13, and by high school, he learns of hip-hop and begins his obsessive journey to become the best MC. And those two things really is where he had an outlet for his humor. And this is really kind of the start of where Will Smith kind of builds himself, right? Yes. The, the, Will the, Smith becomes Will Smith in high school. Yeah, and the desire to be the best at something yeah. as well. You know, the only other thing I was going to touch on that is like humor is what he brought into his home to sort of calm the violence that was his coping mechanism not to stand up for his mom let's just make everybody laugh right so we'll see that theme throughout his life are you going to tell a story about the grandma too like the performance for his grandma yeah sure what was the performance in particular I where was he performing i don't remember the it was performance like a, it was music right he played piano that when he saw his grandma watching him play piano he, she you know she saw she was so proud of him the look of being proud of him on his face was affected him so greatly that he felt like he was always chasing that feeling that feeling again that he wanted a woman in his life to be proud of him and that was his motivation to you know in doing nearly everything that he did as far as you know wanting to be the best MC and be the best rapper and then wanting to be an actor and then ultimately wanting to pursue that to its you know to its pinnacle and to try and be the most famous person in the world right I mean in high school is when he already was obsessing over becoming the best MC. He would get super irritated at everyone's lack of interest, not having the same degree of interest 
that he did. He was just 100% obsessed with being better at it than everyone around him. So this is the first glimpse we get of Will not tolerating anyone with a work ethic that did not match his, which mm -hmm. follows him in his career and how he raises his kids and eventually, you know, the downfall of, of both of his marriages. He claims that he is obsessed with getting approval and people's pride in him and everything he did, like you said, and he gets cold and icy and intense when people don't provide for him in his career or hobbies or whatever. And this is sort of where his dad comes out in him. I suspect that the reason he can't fully unpack his dad's behavior as toxic is because he's absorbed some of these qualities that he has told himself were the positive side of his dad that he has carried on. His positive work ethic is to honestly abuse a lot of his employees. He will do anything to get to the top and, and we'll hear some of that. Yeah, I guess it's kind of clear from even from the beginning of Will's story that to pursue success and that the pursuit of success is extremely important and through achieving that, that, that even, I don't know, that if like, even if that includes maybe like violence or domestic violence or something like that, that he's at least willing to accept that. I think he thought that what his dad did to his mom has some sort of humanness to it, which I mean, it does. We're all capable of doing those things, but we have to call it what it is. Again, they just don't call it what it is. So his senior year, 1986, he hooks up with the city's best DJ, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Will says that DJ Jazzy Jeff was his only match for work ethic. They literally spent 18 hours a day working on their stuff and he started getting shows on the scenes and they just went all the way with getting events and gigs. And I think it's important to hear these years because from senior year to his marriage with Jada, so much happens so fast that I think we need to acknowledge how intense the season of his life was that set him up for a lot of intensity in all aspects of his life. So Jazzy was a couple years older than Will and out of high school, so he could do whatever he wanted. So they went hard and quickly they some record producer signs them on a contract. They put out Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble, Will's senior year in high school. The industry notices him and he decides he doesn't want to go to college and his family was not happy with that. So they actually gave him one year to prove to them that he will be successful without college. And by June 1986, he graduates high school and he goes on tour. I was just going to comment on that. I think that one thing that's like kind of notable about Will meeting uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff is it seems that like the thing that's important to Will is that he matches his work ethic and his desire to succeed. And also that they clicked not only in in that aspect, but they clicked artistically. Yeah, they they worked very well. They sound great together. I, and, lo I love yeah, it. Yeah, and so, you know, that was something that, like, through their collaboration was able to take them to new places. And I think that ultimately, like, that, is, that speaks to how a lot of Will's relationships go. Because Will maintains his relationship with Jazzy Jeff, like, throughout his life. And he does that with a number of other people as well. And it's, you know, it, it shows how Will starts to see partnership yeah, as... Yeah, he keeps the people that make him successful, for sure. Yeah, and he sees partnership as, like, it's something that involves mutual success. And that yeah. it, that's important to a partnership. That's very true to how his marriage with his first wife ended, how he saw her versus how maybe we would see. Yeah, her. I guess that's another aspect of it, too, is that if you're not pulling your weight 
or if you do not have the same sort of drive for your own personal success, then Will is not necessarily interested in a partnership with you. But contradictorily, in his marriage, as much as he wants that image of a woman who is hot and has her own thing and is successful, he fully expects whoever he marries to fully succumb to making sure that he becomes the best. She can't be as good as him, period. That's also true that he definitely sees his, certainly his partnership with Jada, or at least his ideal partnership, is one in which he is the biggest movie star in the world and his partner does everything to help him maintain that, right? Right. So actually, this is where I was going to talk about his relationships leading up to his marriages. So in high school, Will dated a girl named Melanie. He claims that he was a deep monogamist. Um, Some of his comments in his memoir make it sound like this stems more from a misogynistic view that he wanted to be her everything because that would make him the best. Mm-hmm. If if this girl's obsessed with me, it's because I'm I'm the best. So he's got a real savior thing with women, right? Where he really wants to he's your savior. He wants to be yeah. your you know yeah. your everything. Yes. So Will has this idea that he has to be the best at everything. I'm gonna say that a hundred times on this podcast because <laughs> he says it a hundred times in his book. Yeah. We hear it all the time. Yeah. That is that is pretty important to Will Smith to be everything is the filtered. Best. Yes. Everything for him is filtered through this idea that he needs to be the best. This leaks into his relationship with Melanie. He needed to be the best boyfriend that she couldn't possibly ever want anyone else. So he wanted to be deeply adored and give her a standard of men that she would never want anyone else after having him. That was his goal. He makes this rule for his tour, because he's on tour at the same time as dating her, that all the dudes that he's with cannot have any girls at all. Not backstage, not after the shows, no sex, no sex with hoes. End of story. Yeah, yeah. This is a big deal, right? Because he's, you know, he's freshly on tour with his newly successful hip-hop group. And because Will has a girlfriend, everybody's got a girlfriend, right? No girls on the bus. There's Because Will says so. Part of this new rumor is, you know, the guy who's accusing him of being gay and has been his buddy since before Fresh Prince says that Will went through a lot of beautiful women and he witnessed him. So who who fucking knows? Who knows? But well, there is a time period where Will says he was doing that himself. So maybe there's yeah, but he, some for one week. There. Well, we're going to get in. That. Yeah, so, of course. Well, yeah, okay. we'll get to that part of the story. Yeah, so no sex on tour, no hoes, end of story. You can this imagine is, that would cause some conflict, Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> this, this bummed all the dudes out for sure. This is where his famous catchphrase of ghetto hyena comes in because mm. he does not use cuss words. Will Smith is yeah. famous for, which, spoiler alert, if you, yeah. dig, if you dig deep, you will find some cuss words in Will Smith songs. He's just never called out for it. But he is known as the rapper that, you know, white families can listen to with their children that is yeah well he specific he says this himself where he talks about being on his, their record label right and that they were that will smith was the was the wedge you know he was the that was he was the rap group that you know that parents were gonna let their kids listen to and that opened the door for everybody well, else and he doesn't cuss around his kids it's a big thing it stems from his childhood trauma that he lived in a home where his dad was cussing all the time and when you have trauma like that and you lived in a house that cussed a lot and was was really horrible you're not going to understand that some people have normal lives and they cuss a little bit it's an all or nothing thing so he eliminated cussing from his life 
for the most part. Uh, we really have almost zero evidence of him cussing. There is like, I have scrambled up three incidences of him cussing ever as a modern day rapper, as an actor. He does not cuss. His children claim that he has never cussed at them. That is important to he know about him. He doesn't cuss during the slap. He says, keep he my name out your damn mouth. No, no he damn, says, no, keep no my, fucking mouth. Keep he my says, fucking keep one. my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Yeah, so that he is, says it. Yeah. yeah. That's, so that's that the is big one breach. Of, that, that is, is the, the big thing. Big he says it. of etiquette. Yeah, that is a big deal that we heard Will Smith cuss because mm -hmm. that is a big fucking deal. Yeah, he broke. Anyways, back to ghetto hyena. Do you know what ghetto hyena means? What do you think that means? I remember from this. I remember. <laughs> remember from the book so we can, we can go straight to it if you want i'm gonna talk about Will i Smith's think it's like another word for man slut it means having yeah. sex with a lot of people so oh, yeah. uh he basically says his group of band members will not be hyenas he has a complicated scheme to move up by having his nobody manager dude get a job on the inside of def jam records and sign him on and something happens with jive records and that the contract that signed with them will was a minor so there's this complicated situation where it basically falls apart for his manager dana but will and his guys did an album called rock the house with jive records they upgraded their equipment at this point they get a studio and he puts out a huge record with jazzy jeff that gets a grammy this is the first time a rap record gets a grammy and they don't show up because the whole rap community boycotts that they won't feature that part on tv so He's got a Grammy. He then gets involved with Russell. Starting to have a lot of success at this point, musically. Yeah. And he is literally weeks out of high school. He gets involved with Russell Simmons. This is where he's sort of keyed as the family-oriented rapper. And he gets on top, uh, the top of his game. He goes home to his girlfriend, Melanie. And he felt like their relationship had distance. So he accuses her of cheating. And... I'm just going to tell you what happens. He picks up an iron rod and he busts out all of their windows. I think they live together. She swears she was not cheating, whatever. He then runs to his mom's house and cries in her arms. This is an interesting moment to dissect with the Will Smith psyche because in his memoir, he describes this event as him not having any emotions about her mm -hmm. while simultaneously being very violent and destroying their house. Yeah, he specifically says that, oh, I didn't feel anything, right? And then I just did this act because I felt like I had to, yeah. kind of. Yeah, it gets worse. And it also, if we're going to start talking about a, a pattern that ultimately culminates in the slap, we're talking about there are the occasional outburst by Will Smith. And this is, I guess, the first one that again we really hear about, at least in his book. Well, and this is where he talks about his thought process during this. He says that he thought he was supposed to do that not that he felt like doing it mm -hmm. which could be just that example of his father of like well when your wife does this this is how you respond right like mm -hmm. it's the example he was given so maybe it's just like you felt like he had to his, react his, in his some react way, his quick so reaction like if your woman is cheating on you you must destroy the house i don't know yeah but then he laughs about he's it like going through the motions right he's like that day or the next day he laughs about it and how he was psycho and he brushes it off as something hysterical and then he's at this breakup he's at the top of his game he loses his first girlfriend he loses his shit then he goes and cries to his mom shouting at god and his mother why did this happen mommy she physically picks him up and carries him home like a baby and then he spends the breakup week 
going on a what he called a sex spree where well, he the, claims the return of the ghetto hyena term yep he became a ghetto hyena where he claims that he got a psychosomatic response because he hates ghetto hyena behavior where when he orgasms he throws up yeah he claims that by the end of this week of sleeping with women non-stop he became so averse to his own behavior causing him to orgasm would cause him to throw up yeah which is interesting and within a week or two he got back yeah. together with melanie is that is that possible i don't care <laughs> it's certainly it's so dumb to be honest let's say that it certainly might be <laughs> whether that is true or not is debatable from the sounds of it he was back together with his girlfriend in a week like i don't know how do you how do you get this psychosomatic response to sex throwing up when you orgasm that only lasts like a couple days of his life whatever that he felt the need to put that in his book i don't know if he thinks that makes him like some monogamous hero or, i think I don't yeah think I, I think it like goes to prove how yes how dedicated he is or something like that it's like very rooted in some slut shaming and that like oh he's sleeping with these people that he's not with and like their value is gone his value is gone that's gonna make me throw up yeah it's like just so against his nature that it makes him physically ill exactly you know? it's weird anyways he gets back together with melanie and during this breakup, though, in a week, not only did he go on that sex spree, he bought a mansion. He flew 10 of his friends out to shop at Louis Vuitton, and he spent literally all of his money he had earned and then showed up at her work at the mall and was like, look at me. I'm so rich and cool. Be with me. And she was like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to okay. ride this train with you for a minute. Maybe, maybe like, I will be with you while you're rich and getting famous. Exactly. You know? like, so things seem to be working out with you. Will maybe I'll maybe I'll stick around for a bit. Also, I didn't cheat on you, so whatever, dude. Exactly. <laughs> so at this time, he's hanging out with the Junior Black Mafia, which I did not know was a thing until this time. <laughs> Call me young and white. I had no idea that this thing existed. Have know. you ever heard of Junior Black Mafia? No, I'm not going to pretend to know what that is. Yeah. Okay. But this like gang in the rap scene at that time, he's hanging out with them. He's partying in LA. He gets studio time in the Bahamas and he meets this girl named Tanya for a hot minute. It's undetermined if he was having an affair with Tanya or not. And at the same time, he starts hanging out with these people named Tia and Pooh, Pooh Richardson, who is a basketball player who I had also yeah. never heard of. Pooh, um, Pooh Richardson. <laughs> I, I really miss that one. So he becomes obsessed with Tia and Pooh's relationship. And basically, Pooh's job was to be the best basketball player ever, and Tia's job was essentially to worship him and take care of everything. He becomes obsessed with finding this own type of relationship where one person is the star and the other person supports that. So he finally leaves Melanie after kind of having the second wife, Tanya, filling in his role in L.A. And his music career right at this moment starts to kind of fall apart a bit. I don't really know clearly exactly what's going on, but he starts blaming his team on like things falling apart. And he continues to tell people that if they aren't worshiping him, they are failing themselves. And it's really condescending. Like he keeps saying, it's like, it's a shame when you have to watch people not chase their dreams and reach their potential. When it was more like people were not into him or his attitude, they were kind of just working on their own things. But basically, it's like, well, they weren't just working on making him a star. Like, they're also trying to be stars themselves. The downfall does actually seem 
to stem from him getting that studio time in the Bahamas where he blew $300,000 of studio time where the entire time he just smoked weed, he didn't produce a single song, and his dad had to fly in and shut the party down and drag his ass home. By 1990, he had not paid taxes. The IRS fucks him and he ends up having to sell everything, the house, the cars, and he still owes them money for many years after this. And it's a little hazy if right in this time him and Melanie get back together or if they were just sort of floating in some dysfunctional dynamic all the way through this. But at the end of this, there's an incident where he goes back to the house with his friends and her and she comes downstairs all dressed up, ready to go out. And he's like, where are you going? She throws some attitude or I'm going out, you know. And he feels like she's disrespecting him in front of his friends. So when she leaves, he takes all of her stuff outside and he lights it all on fire. So not only did he take an iron rod and bash out all of their windows when she when he thought she was cheating on him, but then after he blows his entire fucking life up and owes the IRS all this fucking money and he comes back and she's still with him, he then sets all of her shit on fire because she's going to go out and like, I don't know, she was dressed too slutty or she didn't say who she was going with or whatever the fucking fight was about. Yeah, an- another outburst, basically. Right. I think, like, the- this idea that Will Smith had been a rapper without cuss words and never been violent before the slap, I was a little bit naive in that. I really thought that was, like, his first outburst. But we're actually going to see kind of a theme of breakdowns. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, it is true as far as his image that he was never really, like, street, right? Like, as a rapper or as far, or as, far as being involved in, like, gang or drug activity oh. himself. Well, that's next is when he does get involved in gang activity. Well, because he is associated with this group that you just mentioned, right? Right. So... so do you so, want me to tell the story? Yeah, yeah, we're going there, but it, like that's kind of that's what I'm getting at. Where there's that you know he himself, where Jada not so much. Jada definitely came from like that lifestyle, but like Will, both in image and in his actual kind of background, was always set apart, so called, from like you know I guess like rappers or other hip hop artists who had like a harder or street image. Right. I mean, we're about to tell the story, but in this story, the the one time that he is faced with some sort of street gang situation, he literally runs away. He avoids violence. Yeah. He, it does seem like even though he's having these outbursts that probably come from some like unpacked traumas with his dad and seeing the violence there, it does seem like he is attempting to have a violent free life, a cuss free life. He is a he is desiring something different than than what he grew up with and we have to remember at this time he's literally like 19 yeah yeah very i'm not saying that's okay but i'm saying you haven't you haven't learned anything yeah yeah so his squeaky clean image is not entirely true because there is drugs and violence in his background but he is also is set apart in some way from i don't know about drugs weed you know, yeah, well, that's what I mean. You I don't know think I mean? we have any. No, certainly it doesn't seem to me there's really much evidence or any evidence of him ever really using or being associated with any other drugs. Until his psychedelics later, but we'll get to yes, that. Yes, yes, which we'll also get to. I don't even think to. he really heavily drinks, to be honest. There's not even really a report of like he parties and stuff, but it doesn't seem to be very problematic in his life. So during this time, he's got nothing, right? He had to sell everything. He owes IRS money. He didn't have any gigs coming. He wasn't growing. He's very stagnant. He kind of fucked up his studio time. So the manager, Dana, that he had screwed over, that we mentioned before, comes over to his house, presumably to attack Will 
for whatever reason. I guess because he had been screwed over. Um, and Will's bodyguard, Charlie, punches him in the face and breaks his nose or breaks his jaw, something. And because the bodyguard was acting in service to Will, the California law makes Will responsible for this broken bone, and he spent the night in jail. This cop that he knows goes to his mom's house at that point to warn him that these junior black mafia dudes he's been hanging out with have been watched by the FBI for a while and there's going to be a sting. Basically, you need to get out of town or you're going to go down with these dudes. Will goes to warn the dudes. He doesn't just warn them. He asks one of the main guys if he can have money so that he can run away. He uses the money to fly out to L.A. Yes, but he gives him some money, right? Gives him like 10K or something. His friend Bucky, yeah, gives him like 10K. That guy, Bucky, the guy he had warned, gets shot three days later. So Will used his money to escape. He gets shot three days later by the police. His friend. Yeah. And so he is out in L.A. with no money. He had just gotten out of jail. He just had to sell his house and cars. His friends that were helping him move up a little bit or trying, you know, doing whatever they're doing, just got busted and shot. And Will is at his rock bottom. This is in 1990, so he is three years out of high school, so I guess he's 20, 21, and his friend Tanya, as a pep talk at this point, tells him the only thing you have left to do is to go to the Arsenal Hall show. Arsenio Hall. Arsenio Hall. Arsenio. Arsenio Hall? You know who that was? No, what is that? Arsenio Hall was, he hosted like a late night TV show, and he's a black guy. It was really famous in black culture. This is he, the one thing I didn't take time to look up. People in the audience in the 90s, they used to go, ooh, 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 like that and pump their fists. And I don't know, do you remember if anybody ever does that? That yeah, was like and, from like what people in the Arsenio Hall show, like in the audience did. And just, I don't know, he had tons of famous guests. I think there were, there were countless well-known moments that took place on the Arsenio Hall show. And I think as we're kind of about to see in this situation, it was a place that like, was really important in like black culture at the time and like an important kind of like for networking, meeting place obviously. for networking for like black Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's where he goes in his rock bottom moment. This is where he meets Benny Medina, who works for Warner Brothers at the time and was the person who had the idea for Fresh Prince. Yeah. Benny Medina is basically the original Fresh Prince. Yeah. He is what Fresh Prince is based off of. Why is he so cool? We had to have a show about him. Benny Medina, as a child, his mother passed away and his father was in jail or kind of in and out of jail. And at like about the age of nine years old, he ended up befriending a a white kid who lived in Beverly Hills. And he let Benny Medina live in like a refurbished garage behind his house. And so Benny Medina ended up going to Beverly Hills High School. He is the original Fresh Prince of Beverly Hills. He was the original inspiration for that show. So, you know, it was later written for the role of Will Smith as the Fresh Prince and adapted to him. But the idea is based on Benny Medina's life. And Benny Medina also, from there, he was able to kind of parlay his connections that he made at Beverly Hills High School into 
being a musician, he was he fronted a disco group called Apollo. But from there, he became friends with, I believe, the son of Barry Gordy, who ran Motown Records. And he went on to produce and was very influential in producing quite a bit of music with Motown Records. He was responsible for writing songs with a ton of artists, with Prince, The Temptations, Rick James, Smokey Rock, I mean, countless artists and he went on to work for warner brothers after that he became jennifer lopez's manager so he has a long history and then he also was will smith's manager as well yeah so that is the real fresh prince history there and yeah one day benny calls him up and is like i'm going to quincy jones birthday party tonight and i need you to fly out from detroit tonight and be here basically right off the bat quincy's like we have this idea for a show and we think you'd be perfect for it and you're going to audition for it right now in front of all of these celebrities and big shots at this birthday party with no preparation time. He doesn't really know what to do. He knows he doesn't really know how to act. He's never acted before. And he's given 15 minutes to prepare. And I guess he does his thing and everyone loves it. And Quincy turns to the guy who's head of NBC and is like, you like it? And they're like, yeah, we like it. And from there, right there, they call the lawyer immediately The lawyer is literally at the birth of his daughter. They force him to leave the birth to make the deal right there because Fresh Prince is that fucking important. That was March 14th, 1990. And by May, they had the pilot filmed and it aired in September. And just like that, he went from rock bottom to the top in less than a year. Will then begs Jazzy Jeff to join the show so they can make music together. And they ended up enjoying it. Uh, despite Jazzy being kind of against the idea. And that is sort of how their career together went. And he credits Jazzy's fame all to himself to this day. And at this point, him and Tanya in their relationship. And at this point is when Will claims he got a new relationship philosophy where he thinks all relationships are temporary and he must always have someone on his roster to avoid heartbreak. Essentially, he broke up with Tanya because she started becoming her own person. And after being his servant in every way up to that point, she smokes weed. And back to the whole no drug thing, he gets pissed. He gives her 30 days to prove that she's not addicted to weed. And instead of trying to prove herself, she's like, whatever, bro, later, I want to smoke weed. This is done. She picked the weed. (laughs) Yeah, she picked the weed. This is where he claims that if two people are in control, both of them die. And that's how he feels about relationships. That's that's one of his mantras, right? He has several mantras. Yeah. One leader. One leader. Right. More than one leader, everybody dies. Is that that's what it is? If two people are in control, both of them die. From this point, he keeps making music and records summertime and wins another Grammy. And his manager sits him down and says, All right, what's your goal here? And he decides right then that he wants to be the biggest movie star in the world. So this is a pivotal point. There's a lot of pivotal points in a short amount of time for this guy. Yeah, it's, it's about to get a lot hotter for yeah. Will Smith. At this point, him and his manager become obsessed with this vision of him, of Will Smith becoming the best. They spend intense 
hours studying how to do this. They make lists of the best movie star qualities. They read all these movie scripts. They decide, okay, you have to fight, you have to be funny, and you have to fuck. The the three Fs, but he says sex, not fucks. He says the three Fs, mm-hmm. you have to fight, be funny, and have sex. Yeah, in Will Smith fashion, they determine the three qualities that the biggest star in the world has to have. Yeah, the you have to Fs. have fight, you have to be funny, and you have to and good at sex. fuck, but sex. And good at sex, <laughs> So according to Will. One day, him and Alfonso, or Carlson as we know him from Fresh Prince, are hanging out on the Fresh Prince set near the audition rooms um, because that is where all the hot girls who are trying out are hanging out. And this hot girl comes out and he hits on her and she immediately rejects him and that is Jada. So all of that happened and here we are back at the point where he is rejected by Jada for the first time. Right. Yeah, Will meets Jada, Jada meets Will. So from high school to basically those four years of intense stardom from top to bottom, back to the top as Fresh Prince. He then makes the plan to get into the audience of her sitcom. And when it doesn't work, he doesn't meet Jada. He meets Cherie, as we said, and he marries her, gets her pregnant, and Trey is born. He is Willard III, although you will never hear Will call himself a junior. He is the second. Willard III is born in 1992, which is the year I was born. So me and Trey are the same age. And when you hear Trey sing in Just the Two of Us. I just remember because my dad is literally one year younger than Will Smith and I am the same age as Trey and my dad sang that song to me every day of my life and I have it tattooed on me. Always tell the truth, say your prayers, hold doors, pull out chairs, easy on the swears, you live and prove that dreams come true, I love you and I'm here for you. Not the original version of that song. I see the crystal raindrops fall and the beauty of it all when the sun comes shining through. <laughs> I have the Will Smith <laughs> lyrics tattooed on me. That's a really good song. He then decided at that point he will be the best father in the world. Best. He carries this idea that he has to be the best dad ever or I will die. Everything is the best or die. Everything is or die. I that is I think he really operates from that black and white perspective. Like the yeah. cognitive distortion of black and white. That is that is Will's distortion for sure. Yeah, the failure is without a doubt the worst thing that could ever happen. Yeah. Do you know what your cognitive distortion is? Have you ever had to learn that in therapy? No. My cognitive distortion is mind reading. I base all of my actions and thoughts on already assuming I know what everyone's thinking. Hmm. The mind reading distortion. His is the black and white. Well, I'm psychoanalyzing Will now. So him and Sheree, he saw them like Pooh and Tia. She is very much living for him, but she wanted to be a fashion designer. And he likes that she's a really talented artist, but did not want her to put it above his ambitions. So he gets a huge offer for a big movie that is $10 million, and he turns it down because in his studying for how to be the best movie star, it is not to take the film that is going to automatically be successful and that he should instead take the film that he was offered six degrees of separation for only a pay of $300,000 and decides that if he is going to prove himself as the best movie star, he's going to take the smaller movie but make it more successful than expected. 
this is another pivotal moment for him where he lost himself in the movie and became the character. This character in this movie is a gay man. It is rumored that he had to watch a bunch of gay porn and traveled to other countries to watch sexual art films that weren't being shown here. And he immersed himself in this character so much so that when he returned to Fresh Prince, he couldn't adjust back well. He lost his, what do you call it, comedic timing. Yeah. At this point, it is 1993, and his marriage starts falling apart, and he blames it on the character he became. Not him for becoming the character and being completely gone from his wife and newborn, pursuing all this greatness, but he sort of just accepts that all of that was worth it, that he lost his family but gained recognition in Hollywood as a serious actor, and he blames who the character was for ending his marriage. So Cherie takes Trey to her mom's and he gets a call from his friends to a bar to just get his head out of this divorce that has been sprung upon him. And who is at this bar? Jada. So this is where they talk all night. Doesn't he describe the rela- He's so impressed by the relationship because this woman can keep up with him in a conversation, right? Yeah, and I do think that a big part of this is, like, everybody wanted Jada at this time. She was hot shit to everyone, not just Will. And I think he wanted what everybody wanted. And he wanted to be the best. He wanted her to want him because if the best chick wants him, then he's the best, you know? Yeah. I think one thing that's interesting about what he says is he's so impressed by her because she can keep up and engage him in a conversation. And I think that speaks a lot to how Will sees himself and ultimately like what he sees as the result of all of this work and making himself the best is that like Will does have a very high opinion of himself and he's just so impressed that anybody could keep up with him ever. Does anybody have as good a work ethic as Will? Is anybody as great as Will Smith? He, Maybe this woman who actually can keep up with con- in, with him in conversation, is she's now interesting, you know? Well, and how he sees Cherie is really heartbreaking. I really, this part really made me hate Will, to be honest. Cherie and him both recount the fights that they had and it wasn't just that he was becoming this character it's that he just met her first off they got married and had this baby right away she's got a newborn baby they're really young her husband's gone doing god knows what and she's alone raising this baby and giving up her dreams of being a fashion designer to support will and his dream he basically just, while wanting her to give up everything to be with him, then begins to shame her that she doesn't do enough and basically just doesn't really value her role as, like, a new mom. She's in postpartum. Like, he has all the money in the fucking world. He doesn't need her to work. But he, like, can't figure out the balance of, like, I want a wife who's successful, but I need a wife who serves me. And there's even this fight that they have where, like, Cherie paid a haircutter for Trey the wrong amount of money and they like called Will and was like she didn't pay me right and he calls her and like verbally attacks her and is just like you're never basically you'd live in a tent without me like you'll never provide for Trey really shaming her for like not being enough compared to him and it's like dude she's home raising your baby while you're gone you know so 
it's interesting how he would see her role as supporting him and that's like her most important role but then also shame her for the same thing i think that he also has issues with the mothers of his children putting the children before him i think he very much so has the Mm. mindset that you put your partner before the children and that becomes a huge fight between him and Jada. Yeah, he's, he explicitly says that in the conversation with Jada, right? Yeah, yeah, which I have that. So yeah. he talked with Jada all night. Jada's so amazing. And he gets home and he has Sheree come back to try to make it work, remember? And they go out to dinner together. And during this dinner with Sheree, where he's kind of torn between them, He runs to the bathroom and starts having a full-on panic attack and crying because he realizes he's deeply in love with Jada, but he is committed to God to be with Sheree. In that moment in the bathroom, he chooses Sheree, and he comes back out, goes home. They have whatever talk. Sheree kind of gives up, and at that point, it quickly falls apart. She told him that she felt like he wasn't in love with her, but in love with the idea of her, and she felt like a placeholder wife for who he really wanted down the road. And it seems to be right. I think she's right in that. So he calls Quincy and tells him, I'm getting divorced, and Quincy tells him the quick fix is to write her a check and move on because he's on the brink of a booming career. He'll make all the money back that he gave her, Just stay amicable so you can see your son. He sort of expresses in his book his idea of what marriage is. And it's not really a marriage where the commitment is to each other. It's like two separate people have a commitment to marriage to themselves. And whoever else is on the other side of that contract is committed to a marriage in themselves. And it's sort of just more of two people living out of vision than an actual forever desire to like be with this person for who they are it's like i'm in this because we're in a marriage i am marrying marriage it's very bizarre how he describes that on valentine's day 1994 he has served divorce papers from sheree and five days later he calls jada and tells her he's single you brought up quincy jones's divorce advice advice. divorce advice and I can't remember if it was you or Will or both of you described that as the best divorce advice. And we can pass that along to our listeners as well. As someone who's been divorced, my divorce advice to everyone is just don't be an asshole. Don't marry an asshole and then don't be an asshole. It will never be perfect, but that's your your best bet is yeah, to just don't, not be an asshole. Don't pick fights and move on. Yep. Quincy Jones's uh, <laughs> divorce advice. Maybe Maybe you can use it out there, dear listener. <laughs> so yeah, February 14th. 94 he has served the divorce papers five days later he calls jada tells her he's single and she had just moved back to baltimore to quit acting because she was having her own little breakdown and he was just like you're with me now and so she cancels her plans in baltimore on this farmhouse with horses that she had just gotten and yeah which is i guess that's actually a bit of an important part of the story is she had just decided that she was going to give up on the hollywood life entirely right this is actually a point in time i'll touch on a little bit later but this is one of the main times that jada felt very suicidal and she had decided i need a break from the hollywood life and she had she'd gone out there to find a a home right she purchased like a farmhouse her dream house to have horses out there and And she was done. And that was her plan was to move to this house and to basically quit acting or put her acting career on Yeah, and there was like, you know, the stuff going on with Tupac and all of her, you know, personal issues. And and she she made some money. So she was able to do that if she wanted to. And she was considering, you know, retiring, basically. Yeah, exactly. So she cancels those plans and she moves back to L.A. with Will. 
And when him and Cherie go to sign the divorce papers, like the ending, they have this moment of weakness wondering if they should give it one more chance. And so he calls Jada and is like, I'm going to try with Cherie again. And despite moving her life for him and everything, she just says, yeah, that makes sense. You have a baby, you know, do what you got to do, whatever. And that's when he's like, wow, that's actually really smart. You're so smart. Uh, I'm actually, (laughs) I'm going to divorce Cherie and be with you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And him and Jada stayed secret until the divorce was completely final. So at this time is the first major fight that leaves a permanent dent in her and Will's relationship that they have never gotten over. This is the grandma incident. Do you remember this one? No. Give me, give me the story <laughs> here. I don't remember this right now. So his grandma finds out, even though they were secret, finds out that he has a new girlfriend Remember, this was the grandma who watched his piano recital and mm-hmm. has carried him through. She's group. very important to Will. <laughs> yes. Uh, she insists on meeting her. So he creates this entire prank. Okay, now I remember. Yeah. yeah. He has decided story. to plan a huge prank on Jada. This because goes to Will Smith's sense of humor, too. Ooh. I think Will Smith is hilarious at times. On screen, scripted, I think he's really not funny in real life yeah some of the things that off the he, cuff he is not funny yeah some of the things that he describes in his own book that he describes that he thinks are very funny to this day he thinks this is the funniest thing that he's ever done and jada thinks it's the cruelest thing he ever did so jada meets will's grandma go <laughs> jada had just been in a movie where it had a fully nude sex scene he decides he's going to watch this what movie. movie what movie is it doing I don't know. We gotta put these things in. You wanna see her? You wanna watch her naked? Details in this pod. Google it. I'm gonna keep talking about it. He decides he's going to watch this movie with his grandma and time it so that when Jada walks in the door to meet his grandma, there on the screen will be Jada at her most naked and vulnerable moment of the movie. What movie? Uh, Jason's Lyric, 1994. Is that the movie? Probably. Uh, we haven't seen it. Click so. image, put okay. Jada naked. Well, it looks like she may have used a body double too, according to the, a quick R- Google. Really? Here. Based on her reaction, it was definitely her body. It doesn't matter. Her grandma thinks it's her body. Okay. Anyways, on with the story. So that's what he does. They're sitting on the couch. It times out perfect. Jada walks in. There she is naked on the screen with his grandma staring right at it. Yeah, Will cannot be more pleased because he says his timing somehow it must have must have been divine intervention because the timing for his prank, as far as he sees, it just went off absolutely perfectly. Yeah. She's obviously angry and humiliated. Nobody even knows that they're together. This is how it's just all awful. And to this day, his lack of recognition for how she felt in that moment I think is the issue less about a joke gone wrong. I don't think it's that she can't let go of what happened. It's that he continues to insist that her feelings about it are invalid. And straight up, it's just a fucked up prank to begin with. It's rooted in slut shaming humor for sure. It just seems like it's not that funny. No, and just like to buckle down and never make it right with her for 30 plus years. She's like, just fucking apologize to your wife that that's how. Like, I'm sure to this day when grandma comes around, this joke is probably brought up and she's forced to laugh about it. You know, she's just pissed. That was how they started their relationship. They have other issues they're hanging on to, obviously, but this was their first major fight. Now we're going to get into some timeline. 
right here is before they become open about their relationship. He has offered his role for Bad Boys, which is what officially really makes him yeah, a star. Yeah, that was his first big movie was Bad Boys, and that was 95, right? 95. He ends Fresh Prince in 1996, so he could do Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And that one comes out in the summer, and that one, like I said, that that's what I really remember was that you know, this movie was huge. I remember the end of the school year, people looking forward to going and see that movie. It really speaks to what the culture was like at the time and like those big movies that we all remember seeing that everybody saw it was like Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, and I remember Independence Day really being one of those movies. Right, so are you ready to just go through a fast, crazy timeline real quick? This is the timeline that meshes Jada and Will's timeline together from 94 to, we'll go to 2000. So in six years, the beginning of their relationship starting in secret to when they have Willow, their second child. 1993, Jada is finishing her role in the show A Different World and True Colors. Tupac is charged as a sex offender in that November. 94, Jada and Will kind of meet when she rejects him and Tupac is shot in November 94. 95, Tupac is sentenced in February. Bad Boys comes out in April. Jada is visiting Tupac in jail and he proposes to her, then marries someone else in jail, by the way. Jada and Will then go public and in October, Tupac is released. Death Row Records paid his bail. He made a song while in jail and Will's divorce is final in December that year. The next year, 96, Jada does Nutty Professor and it set off. May of that year, Fresh Prince ends, begins Independence Day in July. Tupac is shot again in September and dies right after Jada and him have a fight about her being a sellout. And 97, Jada does Scream 2. The Men in Black song comes out in June. The movie, two weeks later, Big Willie Style, comes out November. Jada gets pregnant in November. He marries her December. The next year, 98, getting jiggy with it in January is the first number one hit. Jaden is born in July. Enemy of the State is November. He decides he's going to be bigger than Tom Cruise by releasing songs with his movies, which is ironic because Jada later does a movie with Tom Cruise when their marriage is on rocks. 99, Wild Wild West. In 2000, Willow is born. So in those six, seven years, all of those hit movies, songs, and major life events happen. Two children, a marriage, a death, a divorce, shows ending, shows starting. It's fucking wild. I don't even know when they even saw each other to conceive a child, straight up. So like a, a whirlwind of like a rise to fame and also their romance as well. Right. Well, when the beginning they, of their relationship. When they got married after only three months of dating, they already had an accidental pregnancy a hidden relationship, a fresh divorce. Jada's unfinished love interest dies after being visiting him in jail, him proposing to her. Will is off filming the whole time, doing press conferences, recording music. Then they get married against Jada's desires. That's when I, you know, write a note here about their wedding ceremony that basically in all of this spiritual new age crap, they talk about how they're married within the universe, whatever that means. And that divorce will never be an option. And they commit to this idea of building this empire or image of this family. At this point, Jada and Cherie had many rough years with their ex-wife, new wife relationship. 
they do later become famous for being an example of being a positive ex-wife, new wife relationship. I do remember specifically admiring the publicity that was put on that. I remember that being talked about a lot when I was going through my own divorce and just seeing examples of exes and people just getting along for the kids. You know, that was a very big thing put out in the media about the Smiths is that they are not only a perfect family, but they have figured out how to have a relationship with this ex and co-parent. But the more that we learn about them, the more we learn that's not really true. Mm -hmm. So does Cherie ever go on Red Table Talk or anything like that? Not Red Table Talk, but she is open that her and Jada are friends. Okay. I definitely, I mean, I read something where like, it seems like Cherie will still comment on like, current issues when it comes to the Smith family like she gave a comment in regards to the allegations about Will Smith and Dwayne Martin being gay together like she gave a public comment about that like to the press about and denying it of course I think Sheree feels pretty neutral on it now but I don't think that she softened up until Trey was at least an older teen if not fully grown could she like fully you know, let down her guard because they had such differing um, parenting ideas for Trey. I think now her neutrality is possibly based on that her image does kind of hang on the Smiths too. Nobody really knows Cherie otherwise. Yeah. I don't know what the ties are there. Like that's, that's an interesting relationship, but I do have a lot of notes here about their differing parenting ideas and yeah, how. Yeah, okay. You're going to, I guess you're imagining you to that because like she specifically took a different track as far as how she parents Trey, right? Will's yeah. oldest There's son. There's a reason that Trey is so separated from Jaden and Willow and why a lot of people don't even know that Will had an older child. Yeah, okay. Even when people see like the Just the Two of Us video, a lot of people assume that's Jaden. It's not. I think he wasn't I would even have, born. Yeah. yeah, it's not Jaden. Jaden does play in movies with Will. We'll get to that too, but... Can I also just make a comment that it was so funny that I guess this is just like me being stupid, <laughs> but it only took, it took me until so long until you pointed it out that like Jaden, Jada and Will's kids are named Jaden and Willow and they're like named after them. Yeah. They named their kids after the other one. Yeah. Somehow that totally slipped me, which I guess is just making me look really fucking stupid, but that's, I also find that really funny now that. You pointed it out. <laughs> yeah. A lo uh, honestly, like when I was listening to a lot of media about this, a lot of people didn't realize that. It always felt really obvious to me, but yeah. it's like, oh, Will, Willow. <laughs> 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 like, well, why did they? Because when, I don't know, when, I mean, I was a really young parent when you have to think about what to name your kids. I'm not going to name them one letter off of my fucking name. That's really intentional, you know? Well, and at the risk of burying the lead and not saying this, like, straight off the bat, like, Will Smith is clearly fucking obsessed with himself. Like, well, yeah, he has his a first very kid... high opinion of himself. He is a megalomaniac, right? Like, I guess I was kind of saving that for, like, what I was going to, whatever I was going to say about the slap, you know? But, like, he demonstrates that in a number of ways. And naming your kids Jaden and Willow is just a well, small, he has, small they have... way of showing that. They have three kids and all three of them are named after themselves, right? Yeah. Trey is not Trey. He is Willard the third. Mm -hmm. So he gets his junior or third. Then he's like, well, I guess we can name the boy after you. We'll name Jaden after Jada. And then third one comes and does, do they get their new? Yeah, we're going to get another Will. We're going to get another Will child. We need, we need one more. The world needs another Will. More Will Smiths. According another, to Will Smith. one, another famous fight between Will and Jada. Uh, chiming in some Cherie drama here. 
on Thanksgiving, Will was talking to Cherie's mom. I feel like actually I side with Will on this fight, but I can validate Jada's feelings, but I have to talk to my ex's parents. We have to be nice to people who are still part of our life, you know? So on Thanksgiving, he's calling family or checking in or whatever happens. He's talking to Cherie's mom, who is the grandmother of his son. Jada gets upset about this and whatever, maybe she's being a little dramatic, but the way he fights with her is by making her feel that he is going to leave her forever if she has feelings about this. So there's a lot of issues with them blending families and her response to that is insane because what she does is she gets drunk, she climbs to the roof of their house and jumps into the pool screaming, I love you, Will. And he grabs her and says, you're crazy and I love that. And that really proves it to him, I I guess. They continue to celebrate how toxic and wild their relationship is. It kind of has some vibes of like, attachment avoidant vibes they're only doing well when one of them is detaching and causing drama and then they get back together a lot of making excuses for bad behavior throughout both of their narratives they love their wild rides they love it when it's intense and something goes wrong and they can make up that's their toxic relationship so anyways Cherie's biggest thing in her parenting is that she is going to try to keep trey out of the spotlight And Will was not about this. This was not Will's desire for his kids. Cherie wanted Trey to go to a regular school and do sports and live a normal life. And Will wanted him homeschooled at all the movie premieres and traveling the world with him. So he tries to balance this. He continues living life away from Trey while keeping Jaden and Willow with him all over the place. He tries to come back and be an involved normal dad as much as possible but he's super cruel to Sheree about this. He calls her worthless and that she needs to align with his parenting vision because essentially she would provide a shit life for their kid on her vision, that her vision is not going to provide him. Also back to this black and white thinking playing into here, he tells her they will only be able to eat if they follow his parenting vision, that their kid will starve if they do what Sheree wants. There's no middle ground. Like he does not believe in this like middle ground that he can live a normal life. It's like this kind of goes along with his philosophy that you're the best or you're nothing. For her to not want that for their child is does not align with that vision right and i mean and it does seem like that will is is doing a lot to be a parent on some level like where he does want to have his child with him but there is a conflict there between the two parents visions and so will is off you know making movies but he's flying home every weekend type of thing right Right. He really does believe like his love language, I guess, if you want to fucking call it that, is is providing for his family. And the more he provides, the more yeah. he's loving them. And that is all that he needs to do. He does show up. That's he, what he sees as his role. But but the actual emotional connection is not. And we're going to get into some yeah, more examples. For whether, whether that's true or not, that certainly seems to be how he sees it. So Will buys Jada a house. Uh, in 2003 it is so big that it has its own zip code she does not want this house she literally says i do not want it and he says i am buying this for you you be grateful it hit the news because it was like a compound this thing was obnoxiously huge right he's got to have the best house for sure so at this point it causes an issue that you know he's just not respecting her basic wishes enforcing it on her and puts her in the position of like having to be grateful for things that she doesn't like or appreciate just like his ego is on the line all the time so they go to therapy in this first therapy session they have 
The therapist asks them to list their priorities in order. Jada says, the children, Will, myself, family, and friends. Will says, me, Jada, the children, and my career. Which I'm really surprised he put the career last, to be perfectly honest. But he put himself first, so eh, that's both. But he puts everything above the children. And he kind of... It's like, well, you have to put your own jetpack on, parachute on, to then put yeah, your kids' kind of mask on, yeah, and like you, you got to put your oxygen mask you on can't first. Right? Pour from a cup that's empty, but nonetheless, this causes a huge fight between them and how he doesn't put the kids first. This is a huge realization for Jada and what type of marriage she's really in and who she's really married to, and this sets the tone from the future there on out. He then goes on to have the hottest Hollywood streak of movies from this point. From the time that Willow is born, he goes on to do Ollie, Men in Black 2, Bad Boys 2, iRobot, Shark Tale, Hitch, Pursuit of Happiness, I Am Legend, Hancock, all in five years. So the first five years of Willow's life and the first seven years of Jaden's life, how he was present as a father is, there's no way. He's working a lot and presumably making quite a bit of money. Yeah, he has to put his family behind his success, and that is the way that he loved his wife and his family in his own mind, for sure. So Will and Sheree start fighting over custody of Trey when he was about nine, and some of his parenting philosophies that Jada seems to share come out here, and this is what really drew me to the Smith family as some of this became public. So, for instance, Sheree was like, Trey needs a schedule. He can't play video games all day. And Will's like, what if he's a video game genius? This idea that his kids will develop normally and have to navigate the world as a normal person with normal barriers, that doesn't exist for Will. And and he's not wrong. His kids have a different start in life and they don't have to have the same struggles or setbacks or need for skills that they will not use. History class is obviously useful, but why would his kids need to focus on history lessons, right? They're going to become famous. You know, if, if they want to be singers, he can put them in singing lessons. If, if they want to be scientists, he'll just take them to the best science school. Like, he created an entire school for them. He knows his kids don't have that same barrier, right? I think he just wants to know his kids well enough to recognize their individual talents, pour into those, and not worry about the rest. Ironically, when you go to Trey's Instagram, he constantly just posts videos of him playing video games. <laughs> he streams he on does, Twitch. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> I guess maybe Will was right, but he doesn't seem to be the best video game player. He just seems to be an average video game player who spends a lot of time streaming his games on Twitch. And I, like I said, I was really drawn to that. I think we all, if my kid wants to be an artist, I... I want to be able to just put him in art classes and not worry about the rest and just let him, it doesn't even matter if he's successful or not. I just want him, I would love that for my kids, but I don't live in that same world, right? But there are big waves of like a new homeschool generation of unlearning and this and that and all these new ideas of how we can change our school system, change our economic system. I I think that Will is living in a vision that isn't possible for most people, but he does have this privilege. Like his kids can just do whatever the fuck they want and they fucking do. They're very, they're very famous for how they parented these kids. Well, and I think that is, that is relevant in the sense that like 
Will and Jada often see the things that they do and the things that they say as like lessons that we can take from them. But how relevant are Will and Jada's lives to everybody else's normal lives? Like they don't live in the same world as what you would consider as most other people, basically. Well, and we're sold this idea that it's been successful for them, but I'm about to give some information that tells you that maybe these ideas haven't totally worked out for these kids anyways. It's not that their ideas are wholesale bad. I mean, you can take them, you know what I mean? You can take each one of them as they are, but it's certainly true. And I think a lot of aspects of their life and some of the ways that they act are clear that, you know, they, they don't, they don't live in the same world and that the, the boundaries for how they act and what they do and how their lives are going to be are maybe not exactly the same as they are for most other people. I think that's to put it lightly. Right. Totally. So Trey and Will, I mean, they seem to be okay right now, but they have not had the best relationship. So back to the custody battle when he was a kid, Will essentially claims that he didn't want Trey to have parents who were fighting over him. So he sort of just let it be and he stayed distant during the childhood and let Cherie kind of run the show. And this left Trey feeling unpursued until he was older. He just felt like his father didn't fight for him or didn't try to be around as much. But we do see Trey make some cameos over the years. He did see him. Like, let me make that clear. We see him in the Just the Two of Us video. Will wrote a children's book about him. And we now see Trey making his own music. He's a DJ. He was in a short film. But he is the least seen of the kids. He, like I said, mostly just streams his video games on Twitch. But he's very close with his siblings, Jaden and Willow. So that is kind of where Trey is at. And I want to get into a bit of the kids and Jada. Because along with his own career, Will's entire family tried to build their own separate careers. And his relationship to each of those careers is mm. very telling to how his family has fallen apart completely behind the scenes. So Trey continues regular school. And in 2005, when Will and Jada start a Scientology homeschool thing for Jaden and Willow, which, by the way, Scientology is making a cameo in this podcast. Yeah, once again. Scientology, once again, relevant in this story. So we did pose the question, are Will and Jada Scientologists? To which we could not no. get... Oh, I, I, no, they are. Well, if they you, hold Scientology meetings at their house. Well, I was going to say, if you look it up, though, it'll say that they're not Scientologists. They invite people to the celebrity center. They hold Scientology meetings at their house and they created a Scientology homeschool based on Scientology curriculum. It's clear that they are Scientologists and that they're involved in Scientology, but they're not open about being Scientologists. Yeah. That's kind of the important distinction to make. Yeah, it's interesting. And when Jaden was two, this is when they started the school, he didn't want to go to school, so they let him choose from there on where and how he will be educated. They gave him full autonomy on his own education. He was famously quoted, why are you leaving me here with people that don't love me? He would never speak or make a friend, so after like a week, Jada said she'll never question his desires ever again, and she will trust him with his own life, and she lets him choose his education from there. So she homeschools. I homeschool my children in California. They require a shit ton of evidence of um, 
curriculum being done and testing and all of this. This is at a time kind of before those rules. And they're also rich. And where did they, you know, did they register themselves in a different state? I really suspect that they weren't even teaching their kid anything. I think they hired a tutor to work with them here and there behind on sets. I think that most of Willow and Jaden's education came from being on the internet, going to their parents' work. I think they learned things, but it was much more an unschooling system, which if you don't know what unschooling is, go down that rabbit hole. And at one point, Willow does want to go to public school, so they let her go. She goes for one year when she's 12. She did great. She learned a lot about routine and structure that she had never gotten in the Scientology school. And they're like, yeah, it, it was great. And then she never went again. Also, a side note about their Scientology. At one point, Jada's dad comes back into her life. And when he has fully relapsed and she puts him in a Scientology rehab and he gets sober in a couple weeks and completely bails because he was not like about the Scientology life. So he like got himself as sober as possible in this rehab and got the fuck out. So that's also another, she put him in a Scientology rehab, you know? Yeah, they're associated with Scientology in a number of ways, despite not outright being open about being Scientologists. Right. So early 2000s, they had gone through a lot. We talked a little bit about Jada's background with her suicidal thoughts when she went and got the farm before her and Will had gotten married and all of this stuff. Well... You know, we talked a lot about the events from there on. She had a lot of grief. There was a lot of stresses in the family. She became so miserable with their lives that Will pushes her to do what she wants to do. There's there's a point where he's just like, just do whatever makes you happy. I can't deal with your depression. And so she does what she's always wanted to do, and she joins a metal band. Yeah, starts a band. Starts a band. A metal band called Wicked Wisdom in 2002. Her kids go on tour with her for a while, and she plays Ozfest, and it actually, it goes big. I think it kind of sucks. Does her music suck? What do you think? Um, Well, in research for this podcast, I was reminded of the existence of Wicked Wisdom, and went back and at least like watched some of their performances, watched them at Ozfest. There's a great video of Will watching from backstage, watching Wicked Wisdom perform. I guess um, I'm going to say that it is not my place to gatekeep heavy metal from Jada Pinkett Smith. So I will say that I'm sure that there are plenty of people who like Wicked Wisdom. Personally, it is not my favorite. But that's okay. It's not, it's not like bad. It's just not something that I particularly love. But I would go ahead and say that so there are certainly people who would enjoy Wicked Wisdom. I hate all metal, so I didn't, even, I didn't even attempt to listen to it. I'm sure I won't like it by default. Is somebody taking a detour into a genre of music that sometimes is best when um, people are dedicated to? But they, there are also not, there are not a lot of uh, heavy metal bands that are fronted by black women necessarily, too. So there's that aspect as well. So anyways, at one point during touring with the band, her doctor thinks that she could have cancer and she's 
really sick and Will basically forces her into finishing the tour anyways. Yeah, she finally gets her dream and she gets sick and she's scared and she doesn't feel good and she wants to quit. Like for her to want to quit, you know, it's a big deal. And Will's just like, no, you're going to finish your tour. And so she's like, okay. She finishes that tour and then she's offered a tour with she ends up being okay by the way she doesn't have cancer they figure it out they suit her back up she's okay and she's offered a tour with Guns N' Roses at this point Will jumps in and says actually now you're not going to do this because Jaden wants to pursue acting and is going to do the pursuit of happiness at the age of six and Guns N' Roses tours without her because Will cut her off saying their commitment to always having someone be with the children meant that she needed to be home while he took Jaden on filming for Pursuit of Happiness. And Jaden, 2002, does Pursuit of Happiness, which doesn't release until 2006. And then in 2009, he filmed and released The Karate Kid. And at this point, Will Smith is flying every Friday from Beijing to California for Trey's football games. He flies from Beijing to California and back to China on Sunday, from Friday to Sunday, every week for the, like, the whole year, for the whole f- football season, at least. Jaden, you know, talking about him and his career, he's a little different than his dad. Jaden doesn't care about his image as much. He's very open about his sexuality, all of his thoughts, his thoughts about his family. He's very sensitive. He tries to be deep. His, his music does kind of suck, but that's okay. Um, he's an artist. He can call himself an artist. He cries a lot on his Instagram reels to talk about his traumas as a rich Hollywood kid. Um, I'm a little bit critical, but he's, it's fine. Jaden is. Uh, I remember that he was of subjective interest on Twitter for his Twitter content. Yeah. Because he would put his deep thoughts onto Twitter. And I think when other people read Jaden's deep thoughts, maybe they weren't quite as philosophical as Jaden thought they were. Well, he doesn't have a real education. So maybe as a child, he should have asked for a better education since they let him choose for himself. So Jaden's ponderings on Twitter became a bit of a meme. This leads us to 2010, where Jada's dad dies of an overdose after they had reconciled with his Scientology rehab days. They then had another blow-up about him having a relapse, and he died before they healed again, which is now the second death that she has experienced where someone she loves dies on bad terms. Remember, Tupac and her were fighting about her being a sellout, and then he died before they could reconcile. And there was a lot of unfinished business there. Same thing happens with her dad. This really sends her downhill with her suicidal tendencies. And around 2011 or 12 is when Jada goes on her first ayahuasca trip for three days, has a horrible trip where her demons tell her to kill herself. And so she tries for a fourth night. And this is where she finds her full cleansing. Thoughts on her ayahuasca? Enter psychedelic therapy just where just where you'd expect it I guess there is a lot of controversy if she introduced psychedelics to Jaden or if Jaden introduced them to her and she either introduced drugs to her kid or let her kid introduce them to her you know people try to call her out on her parenting and she supports 
these psychedelics so deeply that um, she doesn't really address the controversy because she doesn't really see it as something bad anyways. It seems like another example of kind of like self-importance as far as then where it's like, you know, I took, I took ayahuasca, I had, I've had this experience and now I have become enlightened again. And, you know, it's, it's, it's another example of um, that they figured it all out basically. Right. And going back a little bit, well, forward in the timeline, but back to Jaden, Jaden and Will at this point are having a rocky relationship. When we talk about him filming the movies when he did Karate Kid, Will was putting a lot of intense pressure on Jaden to fulfill his acting role, just making him redo scenes. I can't even imagine. Have you seen any of these movies? Long time ago. Pursuit of Happiness, for sure. I've seen it many okay, times. Really? It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It. It's definitely one of the pivotal m- movies of our time where it just it hits you. It's done very well. I cry every time I watch it. Uh, Karate Kid. I mean, I've seen it. Whatever. It has right? such a that has such a generic title like Pursuit of Happiness. I'm really struggling. To it's a father son story. I guess I probably haven't. It's but. a father son like father is rock bottom trying to sell his invention and is homeless with his son and they have to like find success together. Okay, but I'm imagining this that that movie was a hit, right? Oh, big time, huge. Because I remember uh, some of these other movies didn't do so well, right? Well, this next one that I'm about to mention bombed. So they're in when the movie together, right? Pursuit of Happiness. Okay, they were in that together. Will is together. the father. Jaden is the son. Oh, okay, okay. And and I think that it just hits you like their connection on the screen. It really they feel like the characters. It's very it's very well done. Will was extremely hard on him through that whole process and during Karate Kid. That rocks his relationship with Jaden. And so Will then says, fine, you're going to do this next movie, which is called After Earth in 2013 when Jaden was 15. And they make this agreement that I'm going to do this movie and you're not going to be hard on me, Dad. And Will just sort of lets him be as disciplined as he wants and have his own autonomy in how he does this movie. And it fucking bombs, which only proves Will right that he needs to be as hard on his family, success driven, you know. Yeah. From Will's perspective is he he let up on pressuring Jaden to do his best work. He, He needs to be on him. And when he let up on his pressure that he made a crummy movie. Right. Their relationship over that really blows up. Then Jaden asks to be emancipated. He's 15. Jada says that she decided instantly that it was the right decision for her son. She didn't sleep on it. She didn't ask Will. She told Will and he was emancipated. I feel like he may have come back again as an adult or at least he hangs out at the house all the time. I think it's telling that like he had to get the fuck out of his family's house with a suicidal mom, his dad being an ass to him. At this point, he's living in the shadow of his little sister, Will Willow. And so he's just dying. He emancipates himself and he tries making music, has his Instagram and does his thing. So Jaden yeah. does his thing. He's a little bit of like the black sheep of this family that's all full of weirdos. So Willow's career, 2007, she apparently was an I Am Legend with Will. I didn't know that because I don't remember seeing it. You know, she's born in 2000. So 2007, she's seven. In 2010, she's 10. She does whip my hair. There's an incident where they do the first tour. 
and she's like great I'm ready to go home and Will's like no you promised Jay-Z you're gonna go on tour with him next and she's like no I'm done that was my last show I don't want to do this anymore and he's like no you made a promise and she's like no you made a promise and I'm done so this erupts this big fight between them and her her hair whip my hair back and forth as her song she's got long hair she's doing these dances for it so as an act of rebellion to gain autonomy, she shaves her head and is like, see, now you can't use me. I'm not going on tour. We're done here. And that was that. That was a very pivotal moment of Willow's life where she told her dad, this is not about you. This is me. I am not part of your empire. Then Willow discovers sex trafficking from the video that we all discovered sex trafficking from, which is Coney 2012. A very quick moment thing where she wanted to save the world from sex trafficking and ask for money. And Jaden's doing his Flint water thing. And uh, both of which they solved. Yeah, clearly. And 2015, she does the song Wait a Minute. So, you know, Willow's kind of continuing her career. and Which we both agree is a jam. Yeah, total jam. Total jam. <laughs> Willow pretty talented, right? We both like, I mean, like, it seems like every time I hear Willow's music, it seems like Willow's, Willow's music. Willow good. might be the most level-headed person in her family. Jaden's music, I didn't hear any that was any good. Talked to Elon last week, told him I went too fast. But Willow's music all seems pretty good. She stands up for herself. I think the thing is, they really did raise, they, sure. they may have some issues with how they raise their kids for sure, but they did come out of it very self they love themselves they are confident children they're what i yeah, you know yeah. they at least appear so yeah but later we do find out on red table talk that all at this time mm. jada reveals a lot more of the cracks in the family at the times that they were being the most celebrated there's one point where jada cried every day for 45 days and I do believe that kind of lines into the time when Will said, just go start your band. Yeah, that was, she was depressed. And that was when, what led to her starting her band. Yep. Willow, during the time that she was on tour doing Whip My Hair and such, and the fights that erupted from that, she started self-harming. She's only 10 to 13 years old at this time. Jada then went through an alcohol addiction and then sobriety. And this is also at the time during Jada's deep depression that Willow writes the famous letter to Tupac asking him to come back to mommy because she knows that he's alive out there. Uh, that letter, fucking weird, went viral. And while Will is reaching for the top of the world in his career, his family is absolutely in shambles. They never get around to acknowledging this time period in their life until it's all said and done. And they're adults filming themselves having serious talks for the first time on this Red Table talk show. Jada's super weird like this. She suppresses all these feelings and then only works through these things in her books and on video. And it's such a shallow experience where she hasn't actually worked through them. She just acknowledges the things and then turns them into some bizarre poetic lesson that we should learn from and then just brushes it off. Like she literally started the Red Table Talk show because Willow said, I don't actually know anything about you, mom. And she's like, great, well, I'll tell you, let's get some cameras and sit down at a table and me, you and my mom can all sit together and have conversations that are extremely private and personal and we'll do them publicly and barely actually address it. Yeah, it's an interesting choice to make. Uh, it's like, well, we're going to talk about our most private things in this public forum. 
Yeah, which is where her affair comes out. It's where Willow's sexuality yeah. comes out. It's a where lot of different things about the family that ultimately were controversial in one way or another. Yeah, so she did this show. Well, it was all a dumb idea. <laughs> well, and it's also just listening to Jada can be difficult at times, right? Because it's just the way that she talks about anything and it's just like this constant impenetrable jargon, right? And it's all like very self-important. Sometimes it's off-putting because it gives you the idea that this person is trying to, you know, that they that they think that they have so much to teach you and you immediately want to reject that. And it's not that they don't have anything of value to say. It's just that maybe sometimes they don't have that much of value to say. And so when you're talking that much, you end up spreading yourself a little thin and looking a little foolish. Right. His entire family is falling apart at this point. And Will is at the center of all of that pain. He really is. Like, he's brought them success and money and fame. But every single one of these members of the family talk about just lacking connection. Like, Willow saying she doesn't even know her mom. And Jaden emancipating himself because the only relationship he has with his dad is his dad being hard on him to be successful. And Jada, all of the issues in, in their marriage. Okay, and I'm going to cut it here so that we can move on to part two where I'm going to pick up talking about Will's insanely competitive relationships with his family, the best Will story of all of them. So stay tuned for part two of the Smith Saga on the Everything's Canceled podcast. Signing off. Lorena. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) 